What's up, Ego Hackers? This is A Rules for Love on the CS Joseph Podcast. I'm your host, CS Joseph. Welcome back to one of my favorite filming spots. INFJs. Eight rules for loving INFJs. Can I just say that I love INFJs. I love them a lot. They always seem to love me, though. <laughs> but I really do love them. They're my uh, companion type, after all. The companion relationship, also known as the pedagogue relationship. I have sexual compatibility with my type, the ENTP. And, um, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Um, Every time I've been with an INFJ, it's always been always been pretty good, great experience, memorable. Um, so, what isn't memorable is uh, their knack for being depressed AF. That's not memorable. That's the problem. I'm gonna take this off. Might be a little bit easier to hear me. I'm gonna take that off. Ugh. So, INFJs, INFJs, just like any of the 16 types, can actually be, um, let's just say, difficult to love. They can be. They can be difficult to love, just like any of the 16 types can be difficult to love. But why INFJs specifically? We haven't really talked about it a lot, but um, it's kind of going to be like a a re-release of um, the virtues and the vices it may actually be the next uh, season we're going to be talking about here in the members area. Actually, I think it will be. But uh, the deadly sins, you know, and the deadly sins in some ways can make people not very lovable and in other ways can make them very lovable when it comes to sexual relationships. Although the deadly sin that INFJs hold makes it really difficult for them, for people to to love them ultimately. It's not really as big of a deal like for men though, but it is a big deal for women. Dang, I lost it. Expecting it to go out so quick, dang! Because it's just uh, one of those days, and then do a good enough job lighting it. I don't know. Ooh, that's intense. <laughs> a little too much there. Try to keep it going this time. So I don't have to keep relighting. I'm trying not to burn myself in the process too. That might that might be effective. That might work. So uh, the deadly sin. The deadly sin of the INFJ, well, it's lust. 
and let's be honest, INFJ women of all the types end up having the absolute highest number of sexual partners out of all the 16 types. This is especially biblically exemplified in the book of Hosea, because I maintain that Gomer, the wife of the prophet Hosea, was an INFJ, and she used to be a prostitute. And she felt so bad about herself because of her FI critic. Like, she never actually believed that she was worth, she never believed that she was worth being considered or labeled marriage material. So she had never really actually invested very much in that direction. And even during the story in the book of Hosea, she gives up on herself uh, with her FI critic and ends up leaving her husband, who is the man of God, who is the zenith of society itself, basically. He is the top dog in society because he is the prophet of God. And as the prophet of God, he had a lot of opportunities, etc. But then God came up to him and said, hey, you need to go take up some whore wife because right now my woman is being a whore. And that's the thing about God and his prophets. He always has his prophets suffer in the same way that he suffers because through, through that shared pain, that's how these prophets can actually have their relationship with God and suffer in the same way, basically. So that's all it really was, a shared suffering. And that's really important, having that, uh, that shared suffering, basically. And a lot of people just don't really realize that, but that's kind of how prophets work. If you ever hear someone claim to be a prophet, check their suffering. Because if they're not suffering, they're not a prophet. That's how you know. That's, that's, that, that is the number one sign. If they are in pain, if they are suffering then it's more likely that they are a prophet. But if they're like, you know, like uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Delacus, or um, I don't know, uh, Paul Crouch, or uh, uh, Kenna Copeland, or T.D. Jakes, or Creflo Dollar, if they're any of those people, they ain't no prophet, they're just frauds. I wanna pay attention to that. It's really important. So, the prophet, Hosea, ends up taking up his INFJ whore of a wife named Gomer, the INFJ. And this, in my opinion, is the greatest love story in the Bible. It's Hosea, he's an NTP, he's the prophet, he's got his whore wife, he has children with her. But somewhere along the way, she starts having doubts, doubts that the prophet of God would actually still actually loves her she's like i'm not worth it f this so then she leaves she leaves him and she sells herself back to her pimp and starts hoeing again goes back to her johns and that's like this is what my life's all about i'm not worth i'm not worth the prophet of god i'm not worth being a mother i'm not worth anything i'm just a skank i'm just trash basically and Gomer ends up having this uh, attitude and it causes her to leave her NTP husband, the prophet. Well, the prophet ends up working really hard for an entire year and he takes an entire year's worth wages and goes to her pimp. And they're kind of like slave owners in those days. And he buys his INFJ whore of a wife back 
from <laughs> from her pimp. Literally buys her back. And I'm just like, I'm just astounded by this. Literally buys her back. You know, this is one of the areas that I completely disagree with the red pill community because the red pill community is constantly downplaying masculine idealism or also the male capacity for love because men are the true romantic. Men, women are built to receive love. Women don't really show love like men do. This is why technically it's also true that no one woman could actually satisfy one man completely by herself. It's technically impossible. It's not biologically possible. And this is one of the psychological reasons as to why it's not possible. But, you know, who can accept that, right? Who actually can? Not very many people. It's one of the most uh, frustrating things about it, if you ask me. So... The prophet gets his year's wages, he buys her back, and he goes to her and he tells her, like, listen, you know, you're my wife, you're gonna stay here, you're gonna be my wife, you're gonna act like my wife, you're not gonna be a hoe anymore, you're not gonna be whoring around, you're just going to have to plain accept that I love you, and that's it. You know, it's kind of interesting about that because I think it's like Ephesians chapter 5 or something like that, or maybe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament, and Paul's like, the Apostle Paul. And I'm not a fan of the Apostle Paul, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm really not a fan of him. Don't really like the guy that much. I think he's a ENTJ serial killer. But he makes some good points in his letters. Let's be honest. So, Paul says, you know, the bridegroom will present his bride to himself without stain or blemish. What does that mean? It basically means the bridegroom is forgiving the woman who's going to become his wife for being a total hoe, being hypergamous, and having a dualistic, pluralistic sexual strategy, where at certain times of a woman's life she values alpha seed, and at other times of her life she values beta need. This is why we have the male burden of performance, so men learn how to produce both simultaneously for their women in their lives, basically. And a lot of people deny that this is a thing, and I don't know why. People think that, you know, telling a woman that she's hypergamous is sexist or misogynistic, when in reality it's actually just allowing her to be who she is. That's what I just don't understand about people and their bullshit criticisms, especially of me. I'm not some red pill author. I'm not even a red pill content creator, and I actually have a lot of problems with the red pill because, like, for example... The red pill doesn't give masculine idealism its due. It doesn't allow masculine idealism to be okay. This is what I find really frustrating. The red pill also heavily overemphasizes alpha traits, which I think, while important, is not the end-all, be-all. And as Neil Strauss said at the end of the book, The Game, as he basically predicted, It's getting to a point where the pickup artist uh, culture within society has gotten so out of control that, <laughs> that men lack the social skills for masculine, feminine, sexual relationships, basic default ones. 
Well, it's no different for the women, don't get me wrong. And honestly, women are probably way worse than men are. And that's, that's just a fact, especially since how society enables female solipsism. But society takes advantage of masculine idealism. And that's why men are just so hyper-focused on, you know, providing beta traits instead of the alpha traits, which so few men can actually do, especially in this day and age, especially with this toxic society. I mean, hey, even Hosea had to get one year's wages for his INFJ wife to prove to her that he loved her. You know, folks, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from Hosea. And quite frankly, the 12 rules for loving INFJs is built upon Hosea's example. An NTP, he wasn't even highest compatibility with her. He wasn't even an NFP. He's an NTP. Isn't that fascinating? And it's the NTP that ends up having full understanding of the eight rules for love when it comes to the INFJ. You know, I love INFJs. There are INFJ men in my life. I'm really happy they're there. One of them destroyed all of my ego investments before eventually becoming sexually attracted to me and tried to get me to have a sexual relationship with him and I said no. But at least he saved my life. He saved me from myself. He saved me from my evil and wrong, incorrect, inaccurate ego investments. I'm so thankful for him. I also appreciate the other INFJ men in my life that have been ride or die. I also appreciate the INFJ men in my life who have betrayed me even because those betrayals led to valuable lessons. Although I hope I'm not betrayed in the future. Even some INFJs closest to me have always told me to my face, Chase, I can't guarantee that I won't betray you. But at least, you know, I can respect that because they're honest about it. It's that kind of honesty that just, just doesn't exist. It's not really something that's often found in society. And I love that about INFJs, how they have that honesty. I know it's an incredibly long intro, folks, but bear with me. The example of Hosea is extremely important, especially when you're dealing with FI Critic. So, what is the first rule? The first rule applies to NI Hero. NI Hero is all about what it wants. It's all about what it desires. The thing is, though, is that when it comes to INFJs, because of how external they are, they're the most externally focused of the introverts. They literally want anything and everything. They literally want everything. everything they literally are no limits they're all about no limits no limits is everything to them and when it comes to having a sexual relationship or loving an INFJ that is effectively rule number one no limits do not limit them in any way shape or form you know, with INFJs, it's more about giving them space to make decisions and whatnot. But with the INFJ, because they're affiliative, because they're Templars, 
they usually end up living in a box. They prefer to live in a box. They want to be in a box because the box has boundaries. The box has rules. And they want to know what the boundaries and the rules are so they don't violate those boundaries and potentially put themselves at risk. They don't want that risk at all. It's because it's dangerous. That kind of risk is dangerous. And that, that risk can lead to a lot of problems. No limits. But here's the thing though. They put themselves in a box. But when it comes to their relationship, while they want to understand what your boundaries and your expectations are, oftentimes, all the time, and how important that is to them, well, the thing about it is that when it comes to their relationship with their significant other, it's the one time in their life where they don't want to have any limitation. They just don't want to have any limitation whatsoever. Like, especially in the bedroom. They want to be able to try, they want, to, they want you to the point where you're comfortable enough where they can try just about anything on you. You're, you're just going to have to get to that point. Like seriously, like that's the level of no limits that I'm talking to, that I'm talking about. So yeah, the first rule is really no limits because eventually like INFJs, they get so affiliative, but when it comes to their sexual relationships, they want to actually use their ESTP subconscious and actually experience true freedom of expression, um, true, you know, set the structure even when it comes especially to the bedroom, but like literally it's all about no limits. And they need to understand like, and he, you have to express no limits to them in such a way too, where you yourself have to make sure that you're not really putting very limits on you because they need to mirror your behavior, okay? Because an INFJ will naturally limit themselves if you're limiting yourself basically. And that could be a huge problem. If you're limiting yourself in your way and you're in your comfort zone, they're gonna get stuck in your comfort zone with you. And then eventually they're not gonna, their, their shadow is gonna feel unfulfilled, their SID is gonna freak out, and it's really, really going to be bad. You need to be prepared to make sure that you live in a no limits way to the point like, for example, if you're an SI user man and you're in a sexual relationship with an INFJ woman, you're actually asking for it. You see what I'm saying? Oh, like many of them are like, oh, that's so amazing. As I say that just right now as they're watching this, because that's a fact, okay? You gotta get to, and you know, and, and all for the USI user women out there, like if you're not down to your INFJ man, then that's like gonna be a serious problem. As I said earlier, the deadly sin of the INFJ matters. What is the deadly sin of the INFJ? Since many of you are like, why haven't you said it yet, Mr. C.S. Joseph? And it's like, it's because it's lost. I did say it technically, actually. I'm kind of all over the place right now, forgive me. That's why I'm trying to like smoke so I can calm down a little bit. I had a bit, I had caffeine today and I don't usually have caffeine. So I'm kind of like all over the place right now. I'm trying to keep it as real as possible though. So yeah, no limits.
and don't limit yourself because if you limit yourself, eventually you're gonna bring them limits. And it's not like the INFJ is gonna complain. It's just, if you wanna have the absolute best possible relationship where you can absolutely show the most love to your INFJ, you need to indulge their deadly sin of lust. You need to indulge their need for no limits. An INFJ may say they want no limits, or they may even say that they don't, that they're okay with limits. They, they're, they're affiliated. They're more likely to say that they're okay with it. But that's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's not the truth at all. It's a need. No limits is a need. And you as their partner need to be there to meet that need. I can't stress this enough. This is probably the most important rule out of this list because a lot of people just don't understand the significance. It's not enough to just let INFJs do whatever they want because they'll freak out. It's more of you as their lover need to facilitate the opportunity for a no limits relationship, especially in the bedroom, okay? Because if you're not going to give that to the INFJ, it's really going to, they're never really gonna feel satisfied in their relationship with you. And their deadly sin of lust is just going to get out of control. Just like it did with Hosea and Gomer, because Gomer ended up going back to being a whore again. You know, I wonder if the quote unquote man of God was actually putting any limitations on her. Not that her returning to being a street whore is justifiable because it's absolutely not. But the thing is, is my point is, is that is it possible that Hosea potentially wasn't facilitating that no limits relationship? I mean, for one thing, the INFJ with her with her TE trickster, Gomer realized that he was the man of God. He had the reputation of being the man of God and being the prophet, and she had to uphold that reputation. So she probably chronically felt guilty all the time that here she is, this street whore, who's having children and married to the man of God. And it just bothered her. Because it's like, I don't deserve this. Of course, you know, that's T.I. Child, God complex, basically deciding who deserves what and playing God and she played God. She played God to the point that she ended up back in hell, even though she was previously, you know, you know, she was just rescued from hell basically and that's not good it's it's it really sucks you know it sucks and i see infjs who constantly put themselves back in that position over and over and over and over and i'm like guys stop there's really no reason there actually is an opportunity for redemption and redemption can be had that's why it is written the bridegroom presents his wife to him without stain or blemish. He is forgiving her sexual past. That's the whole point, folks, okay? A lot of people don't get that. Now, that's not to say that I'm expecting men in general to forgive women of their sexual pasts, but that's why it happens. And of course, Hosea, being the man of God as an NTP, would do that because guess what? NTPs have SE trickster and SE demon, okay? And they don't really, they're either unaware of or they really don't care about the sexual past. It's more of like, are you healthy right now? No STDs? Are you okay? Okay, yeah, sure. And then again, you know, we talk about commitment and marriage, and I warn those NTPs, yeah, don't marry her because statistically, if she's got more than two partners, then she's 70% more likely 
to divorce you. And oh, by the way, 80% of divorces in Western society are initiated by women anyways, so you might want to watch out, bro. Getting married is definitely not something I recommend. But you don't necessarily have to marry women to have sexual relationships with them. So what does it matter anyway? It's only very specific circumstances that I would ever recommend marriage to anyone. And even if I did recommend marriage, it would be done with certain stipulations and certain legal structures would have to be put in place ahead of time to facilitate that marriage contract. And that's the thing, marriage is a contract no one gets legal advice on, especially the TE tricksters who are watching this right now, you INFJs, see what I'm saying? I think I got it in that time. I haven't smoked in a while, so. There we go, I think I got it. So yeah, no limits, that's rule one. No limits, especially sexually, because they have that deadly sin of lust. And having the deadly sin of lust can be a very good thing. I'm not like saying it's necessarily a bad thing. Having a deadly sin of lust can be very good for an INFJ because that means that they take their sexual prowess very seriously. And they're usually just naturally amazing in the bedroom. Just like, uh, you know, ESTPs are because they also have the same deadly sin of lust. You know, my deadly sin is the deadly sin of envy which when you're very envious, you end up understanding how attraction and desirability works more than anybody. Which means because of my deadly sin, one of the good things, good, good things about having the deadly sin of envy is that I'll basically always be attractive. I'll always make myself attractive. I'll always be desirable in some capacity. See what I'm saying? Which is something an NI hero would want anyway, right? So, it's a lot to think about, like all of these things fit together and a lot of people just don't really understand, you know, how all these things fit together, but it's, but it's true. So the second, the second one, the second, the second rule is, is provide acceptance to your INFJ, but not just any kind of acceptance. Uh-uh. It's like, reasonable acceptance. I don't know how to explain or label it properly, but let me explain. Don't compliment an INFJ. Don't do it. Do not compliment them. Unless of course you can provide a specific example as to why you're complimenting them or labeling them nice XYZ thing. If you could do that, then compliment away. Problem is, is that INFJs almost always by default assume you're trying to take advantage of them or you're trying to manipulate them when you compliment them. So yeah, absolutely compliment them. Yeah, absolutely accept them. But if you're not able to provide a reason right then and there as to why you're accepting them or as to why you're complimenting them or as to why you're doing them a favor, then they're automatically gonna assume you're taking advantage of them. They're automatically going to assume you're out to get them. They automatically assume you're just gonna betray them. 
or the worst part, they're going to automatically assume that you are setting them up for failure. Oh, that's the worst one. I hate that. I hate that. Oh God, INFJs also fall in love so quickly. They fall in love the fastest of all of the types. Oh, because don't forget that NI Hero just wants everything. They just already behave in this no limits behavior, especially that deadly sin of lust. And that's why they end up just having sexual relations with so many people in their life to, to the point of having the highest body count out of all the types. So that's the thing. You always gotta be aware of that, really. You, you gotta be aware of that. But yeah, they, you gotta give them acceptance. You really gotta give them acceptance. But the problem is, is that acceptance, it's not enough to just default get it because like they're walking anti-flattery detectors they have this flattery radar and if they ever they will assume that you're just flattering them they hate flattery flattery is evil to them they they will have nothing to do with it so if you can't provide concrete examples or concrete reasons as to why you're quote flattering them at the moment they're not going to ever think that it's true acceptance so I guess it's not really so much reasonable acceptance as much as it is true acceptance, accurate acceptance. That's what their FE parent is looking for. That's what their FE parent needs. That's what it wants. That's why it is the second rule. Provide that to them. Give them that acceptance, but it has to be true, real acceptance based on facts, based on good experiences that you've had, based on specific examples that you can provide your partner, that you can provide your lover right there. Specific examples as to why you believe they're amazing. And you have to provide specific examples, things that they've already done. Otherwise, they're just not gonna believe it. They're just gonna be like, oh, you're, you're flattering me. Oh, you're gonna take advantage of me. Oh, you're setting me up for failure. And they just can't deal with it because of that internal guilt. And sometimes you'll even pay them a compliment that you know that they deserve or something or that you believe they deserve let's not play god with the word deserve though and you're there and you're giving it to them and that's important too but the difference is though is that even sometimes they get so stubborn they're still not going to listen to you they're not going to accept it and that could be a serious problem a big one and you're not gonna like so what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to keep going you're going to have to keep providing additional examples and provide additional labels. And you just don't stop. You don't stop until they stop. You shower them with acceptance. You shove that acceptance down their throats to the point where they know beyond no doubt that you're being honest with them, that you really do care about them, that you really value them, that you are making them a priority over everyone else. Only real and true acceptance will work. Anything short of that, then they'll abandon you. It's funny. INFJs, they're so afraid of abandonment that, and they, they expect everyone to stick around and be consistent, but they themselves aren't. They're like the least out of everybody. And it's so frustrating, especially with that deadly sin of lust where it's like, 
Oh, I'm a woman, I'm hypergamous. Oh, I'm just gonna go bang this other person over here. And they always do their TE trickster to rationalize why it's okay for them to bang this other guy. You know, even if like, even if you're like on a break or whatever. But you know, men men have a similar problem because they'll just, they'll just rationalize it with their polygyny. They'll just keep rationalizing and rationalizing and rationalizing, you know, because they want it all. Every INFJ with their ENFP shadow, they want it all. No limits, folks, no limits. Not that any INFJ would ever openly admit that, but they want it all, folks. They want it all. They want to be that high roller. And it's so funny. Every time they start behaving like a high roller, especially at the casino, that's when they lose their ass and they take everyone else down with them. Mark my words. They always take everyone else down with them. That's sad. So yeah, no limits, real and true acceptance. Rule number three. <laughs> this one's kind of obvious, but you gotta deal with T.I. Child. T.I. Child can be a huge, huge problem to deal with. I could deal with them because I got T.E. Critic. T.E. <coughs> Child can deal with them, T.E. Inferior can deal with them. T.E. Parent, not so much. T.E. Hero, not so much. And don't even think about the other T.I. users because it's just not gonna happen. But what does T.I. child need? Let me tell you a story. I was in a sexual relationship with this woman named Scarlett, but that wasn't her real name. She actually changed her name because she hated her real name. Her real name was Cassandra. She hated being called Cassandra. Cassandra was the name of the prophet that nobody listened to, according to legend. And her T.I. child felt so not listened to her whole life. She thought because T.E. Trickster conflated it with the totem that is her name. Maybe it's because I'm named Cassandra, that's why no one listens to me. And it, <coughs> it causes huge pain for her. A huge pain in her life. So she changed her name. Not that it helped, because believe me, it didn't help. But with T.I. Child, the rule rule three is for T.I. Child, what to do for T.I. Child is always listen and actively listen. It has to be active listening. Always actively listen to your INFJ, even if you believe they're wrong. That's really hard. <coughs> That's really hard for some people. You don't want to shut it down. You really don't. Don't shut down their child. Don't ever dismiss them. Never dismiss an INFJ. Never dismiss them. Dismissing them is like, not only will they, not only will they think that they're, you're being disloyal, but they'll also be like, well, what the hell am I here even contributing to you or helping you for? Even though, let's be honest, TI child is not the most helpful thing in the world. It really isn't. It thinks it is but it isn't. But it has that raw logic, so it has some use, it has some value, and a lot of value, I'm not saying it's not like valueless or nothing. But the thing is though, is that
oftentimes like they're so they the INFJ eventually, you know, the TI child can develop a God complex where they fall in love with their own voice. But the thing is, is that already throughout their entire life, they've already suffered with the fact that no one listens to them anyway. So why do you think as their partner, you get to not listen to them? Because one thing about TI child in an INFJ is that it can turn into TI parent with their ESTP subconscious. Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Because deep down, every single INFJ, male, female, doesn't matter, they all want to be challenged. They all want challenge. They want to be challenged. So, challenge them. Always listen to the TI child, even if you disagree with it, but make sure you challenge their thinking if you do disagree with it. Never just let them talk and be like, yeah, okay, but then not offer challenge. I see NFPs do this all the time, especially TE inferiors. Oh my God. I also see TI heroes do this, like INTPs and sexual relationships with INFJs. Oh my God. They, they, that's a huge mistake that they make. You know, my friend John, he's an INTP, he's married to an INFJ. And John, if you're watching this, for your marriage, man, like seriously, this is it. Like right here, you know, you gotta offer challenge because even if you're hurting her feelings or if you think you're gonna hurt her feelings, you have to offer challenge because she'll respect you more for that challenge than not. All INFJ TI childs need that challenge. So it's not enough to just actively listen. It's also not enough to actively listen even if you disagree with them. You have to complete the entire experience and it's a shared experience they're looking for where you're also offering challenge if you actually disagree with them. Because if you're doing that, if you don't do that, then guess what? It's another way for them to feel like you're setting them up for failure. Which is how, when you, when you set up an INFJ for failure, that's literally you saying to the INFJ, and this is how they take it, that you hate them, not that you love them, or even worse, that you're indifferent to them. And ENFPs, their golden pair, really, really understand that. They really understand that concept. And for some reason, most people don't. And it, it really frustrates me that that's the case. really frustrates me. You know, I love INFJs. I love being in relationships with them. They're amazing lovers. They're always so precise and they take care of my inferior function very well. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. But they always just end up selling themselves short. And that's real rule number four. You know, rule number four for INTJs, which is also as inferior as, you know, never reject them, always say yes or not yet. With INFJs, it's a little bit different. They actually expect you to reject them. Because they already know they're not perfect, even though they're trying to be perfect. But deep down they know because they have FI critic. 
So they kind of expect there to be some rejection within the relationship anyway, because their ESTP subconscious is just pragmatic about that fact. They know rejection will take place. So whereas an INFJ, or where an INTJ, rejection is extremely critical. They just can't deal with it. I rejected my INTJ ex, Andy, in my inbox right now, there's like seven emails from her. It's been three years since our last date. Last day, it was on Valentine's Day, three years ago. And she still emails me. She still can't let go because that rejection was just so painful to her. You see what I'm saying? So painful. But to an INFJ, rejection absolutely hurts. And they are afraid of rejection, yes. And they have performance anxiety like INTJs do, yes. But the difference is, is that an INFJ accepts rejection as a part of life. And I've always respected them for that. So the rule that you would apply to INTJs does not necessarily actually apply to INFJs. It's a little bit different. What is it they want? What is it they're looking for? How can you show love to that SE inferior? I've already mentioned it in this episode. What is it? It's consistency, being consistent, even to the point of potentially even being predictable. <laughs> it's consistency. They need consistency. They need someone around them that is like a rock, someone who is immovable. They need the immovable object because they feel like the unstoppable force, even though the unstoppable force is more likely an NI parent, not necessarily an NI hero but they need the immovable object. They need someone who is consistent. Consistent about them. What they really need, folks, is loyalty. Why? Think about it. If you have the lust, deadly sin, and you have the greatest potential of the 16 types to have the highest body count, the highest number of sexual partners, out of all of the 16 types, out of all of the human race, don't you think that that person, because of how naturally disloyal they are, that in their partner, that they're in a sexual relationship, that their, their, their partner, who is their significant other, their lover, don't you think that they would want consistency? Don't you think that they would want loyalty more than anything, right? It's all about loyalty. You know, the INTJs, they're so afraid of rejection. Yeah, they want loyalty, but they are even more afraid of rejection. But the INFJ is a little bit different. Yeah, they can deal with rejection. And yeah, they're kind of afraid of rejection, but they don't want, they don't want to be rejection. But what really bothers them is disloyalty. Really bothers them. It's like a different tint to SE Inferior. They really, really, really want that consistency, to know that whenever they call you, that you're gonna be there, to know that whenever they wake up, you're gonna be there, to know that you're just gonna be there for them. They just need someone to be there for them. It's all they've ever wanted. It's really all they've ever wanted is someone to be there for them because they have so many partners and they've been with so many people, but which of those people are still with them today? Which of those people still call them? Which of those people still write them? Which of those people still make them a priority? Which of those people stick around? 
that is the source of their greatest pain. I refuse to be the source of that pain. I choose to be loyal. I choose to stick around. I always tell them, yeah, I know you're probably going to fail. You will fail in our relationship. But I always tell them, I always give you the right to remedy. I always give you the opportunity to fix the problem before I move on. You know, that is what is, in effect, what Hosea did for Gomer, right? After she left and he got the one year's wages and he went to her pimp, her slave owner, and literally purchased her from her pimp to bring her home to her family, to her children, to him. Once again, the bridegroom presenting his bride, who happens to be a street whore, without stain or blemish, and literally redeeming her, granting her redemption. The one thing that INFJs want more than anything. Why else do you think that Jesus Christ is an INFJ? He's known as the Redeemer. INFJs are all about redeeming people. Why? It's because they themselves want to be redeemed. What does that say about the character of God? Does, the, does God, who had his son, the INFJ, does, does, does Jesus Christ feel like a failure? Does he feel like he failed his creation, humanity, the human race? Maybe he does. He's got SC Inferior. Maybe he does. You ever thought of that, folks? just wants this woman to stick around. He wants his bride to stick around. You know, Hosea, he stuck around. He stuck around for Gomer. He didn't let go of her. He was still loyal to her. And then he brought her home and said, hey, here's what's going to happen, okay? I brought you back. You're going to be my wife. You're not going to have any more sexual relations with any other men, just me. You're going to be here as my wife and the mother of our children, and that's it. And I'm giving you this one golden opportunity to fix what you did. Oh my God, that's amazing. That loyalty, that masculine idealism, huh? Yeah. That consistency. He stuck around for her. He never let go of her, even though she let go of herself as much as she let go of him. And this is where the red pill community made shit all over that. The red pill community, the Tomases of the world, the Rushes of the world, the Royces of the world, would just say, oh, Mr. C.S. Joseph, you're just being a beta cuck. And you know what? Under their definition, they'd be right. I would be a beta cuck. But where's the masculine idealism? Where's the love? Because as Paul said, if you do not have love, you do not have anything. Where's the love, right? Where's the love? 
Where's the love? Where's the love, folks? Where is it? That's how you prove love to your INFJ with concrete action. Unyielding. Even in the face of fear. Even in the face of betrayal. That's the truth. Now, I'm not saying all men should do this. I'm not saying that they should let go of their self-respect, obviously. And there's ways to get around that. But the reality of the situation is they just want loyalty. They need to know that you're going to stick around. They need to know that you're going to be there for them. It's so funny. This is one of their hypocrisies. They expect everyone else to be consistent and to stick around, even though they themselves don't. And they don't because they just don't feel they're worth it. They don't feel like they deserve it. But every time an INFJ says, well, I don't deserve him or I don't deserve her, that INFJ is doing nothing more than playing God. Have you ever thought of that? Have you? Have you ever thought of that? You're just playing God. Fools. And don't get me wrong, I'm a fool too. Stupid notifications. Oh. Rule, uh, rule number five. You know, for INFJs, it was, you know, always tell them what you're going to do before you do it. But with INFJs, it's more of like, if you actually want something, just tell them what it is. It's kind of like sharing. So share with them. Share with them like what you hope for. Um, also share with them what you despair over. It's, it's, it's kind of more of like more sharing. Because the more you share with them, the less paranoid they get the more it proves to them that you are sticking around. So it's make sure that you tell them what you want. Make sure you tell them what you're hoping for. Make sure you tell them like where you see yourself with them in the future. Talk about a future that includes them. That is rule number five. It's just more ammunition to show that you're consistent with them. Rule number six. <laughs> Rule number six, like they're FI critic. You know, they oftentimes will downplay themselves. They will oftentimes self-deprecate. Don't enable the self-deprecation at all. Never enable an INFJ's self-deprecation, ever. Instead, Show them gratitude. Show them that you appreciate them and why. So that they stop self-deprecating. Be that person that remembers why they're, you're, they are valuable to you. And then share that with them. So that they stop valuing themselves less. Also very few times in their life they'll actually start to really care about certain principles 
try them out. Be willing to try out those principles. Be willing to try out some of their values and their value system and see if it works out. As an aspect of you challenging their TI child, but you kind of want to provide challenge in this area too by testing their morality. It's super important that you do this. Very important. Ah, rule seven. And I know I'm kind of going over these rules a little bit quick, but rule seven is going to be a little bit of a long one here. It's really important. They have TE Trickster. Rule seven, you have to make sure you are protecting your INFJ from stupid people, corrupt people, bad people. You yourself need to become your INFJ's filter and filter out people, filter out articles, filter out media, filter out books, filter out podcasts, filter out the television, turn the television off, okay? Turn the movies off, turn off the Netflix, turn off all that crap, turn it off. Out of all the 16 types, there is no one so much more easily manipulated, controlled, mind controlled, encouraged, or what have you, uh, or influenced, it's INFJs are so easy to influence out of all the 16 types. You have to protect them from influence, external influence. And the only person that should be influencing them is you and nobody else. You have to do that. You have to do that for them. Influence. Recognize that they are weak from influence and you need to identify all the sources of influence in their life and if they are challenging your relationship, the safety of your relationship, or your ability to be consistent, guess what? Get that influence away from them. Replace it with healthy influences. Rule number seven, manage their influences. What is influencing them? And be the number one source of influence on them in their life. I can't stress that enough. Because INFJs have this problem where they will listen to just about anyone, everyone. Oh, everyone is valuable, right? Everyone could be important. Any voice is important because I want my voice to be important. And if my voice is important, if it's ever gonna be important, if I'm ever going to be an authority, I need to learn how to listen. So I'm gonna listen to everybody in hopes that one day I will gain the recognition to become an authority to become an influencer myself. <clears throat> wrong. That's wrong. You don't just go out in life and listen to everyone. That's foolish. Where's the wisdom in that? That's why TE Critic exists in the companion relationship between ENTP and INFJ. That's a fact. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to your INFJ. You have to protect them from influencers and influence constantly. And you have to make sure that you don't just allow anyone to start speaking in their life, especially their immediate family. Oh my goodness. You have to go out of your way to prevent that from happening. Otherwise, they could destroy you. Otherwise, they can be a huge threat to your relationship and you will lose them. You don't want that to happen.
Rule number eight. You have to make sure that you are pushing your INFJ. You have to push them. Push them. Sometimes they'll react negatively. You have to push them. Push them into action. Just like INTJs who are so in love with taking shortcuts. I don't know how many times I have seen INFJs with their little get-rich-quick schemes. It's so pathetic. And then they just get, they end up getting sucked in by ENFPs and be completely taken advantage of. And they end up taking everyone else down with them because, you know, these little get-rich-quick schemes that they end up doing or these multi-level marketing BS that they end up doing or whatever. They're so easily sold. They're so easily influenced. So instead, while you're getting rid of the influence and observing rule seven, rule eight is push them in the right direction. Make sure that they're putting in an effort. And here's the thing, you wanna encourage, you wanna know what pushes an INFJ more than anyone? You wanna be able to push an INFJ to the brink without their SID even coming out and burning themselves to the ground? By pushing yourself, by you making sure that you're putting in the most effort because by you putting in more and more effort in your life, they will be encouraged to mirror you and then they will start putting in effort too. What this means is, is that when it comes to effort and pushing them, you need to take the lead in this area. Take the lead in your relationship. Take the lead when it comes to effort. And then they themselves will put in all of the effort or they'll, they'll put in a lot more effort, more effort than they've ever done. So then it's no longer get rich quick schemes. It ends up becoming, I'm going to read 15 books so that I'm an expert in this so that I can actually learn how to get rich on my own because the long way, the long road is actually the fastest. And that's the point that SI Demon needs to understand. That's why every INFJ needs to know so give it to them push them you got to push them keep encouraging them in that direction make sure that you tell them that you expect maximum effort obviously don't exasperate them obviously so be wise with this but push them but here's the thing they're never going to allow you to push them unless they see that you are pushing yourself first that's the point that's what they need. And make sure that while you're pushing yourself and focusing on their needs, they're going to be way more encouraged to, for the first time in their life, actually care about their needs because they see that you are caring about your needs. And it becomes all about needs. And they're no longer ignoring their needs anymore. They're actually going to bed on time because they see you going to bed on time. You see what I'm saying? That's why INFJs, especially in adult, as adults, they should never sleep alone, ever. And I feel so bad and I feel so sorry for those INFJs out there who are watching this, who are sleeping alone. Because it even affects their health in a negative way, to the point where they end up having more disease than anyone else. They end up overdriving their headlights, as my INFJ uncle would say. Don't let that happen to your INFJ. You take care of your INFJ. You help them meet their needs by pushing them. And you push them the most by pushing yourself. For example, 
let's say, let's say you're married to an INFJ and he's, he's obese. Let's say that he's an INFJ man, but he's obese and you want him to be more attractive. So what you, you need to do, you need to go to the gym. You need to start reading fitness books. You need to start counting your calories. You need to start understanding organic non-GMO food. And they see you putting in all this effort and all of a sudden, oh, they're like, oh crap. I need to, uh, she's getting a lot. She's getting ahead of me there. I need to catch up. I need to go beyond her. And then they will. And it becomes like this race. And it's a race to excellence. You want your INFJ to be excellent? Begin the path, the journey to excellence yourself. And not only will they meet you there, they will pass you, surpass you, and eventually they'll lap you. And then you have something amazing on your hands. Imagine your partner going all the way like that. Wouldn't that be incredible? That'd be absolutely incredible. That is effectively what Hosea did for Gomer. He never gave up. He's like, you're my wife. I love you, I chose you, I'm loyal to you. And he proved it with concrete action. One year's wages. And he gave her the opportunity to fix what she did. And then once again, once again, even a second time, he presented her to himself without stain or blemish. And he still forgave her anyway. That's the kind of redemption that can be there for you INFJs in relationships. That's the kind of redemption that you lovers of INFJs need to be prepared to give to them. Something that they don't get from anybody else, anywhere else in their whole life. If you found this lecture useful, helpful, educational, enlightening, please subscribe to the channel and leave a comment below. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know it was a slow start, but it's kind of necessary. I took a while to film this one because, uh, I don't know, INFJs have a very special place in my heart and I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it right the first time. Because I love you all so much. I'm very thankful for you, that you exist. It gives me hope. So, anyway folks, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys tonight. You stole my heart of gold After my silver soul Can you dig in?